I will read for you the lesson uh, which comes to us from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 22. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Perfect timing. <laughs> Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O oh Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read into the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. Several years ago, when I took my first trip to Israel, there were many places that I looked forward to visiting with the expectation that these would be the places that would make some kind of important, impressionable difference to me. I expected significant spiritual moments to occur in places like Bethlehem and Nazareth and the Mount of Olives and Golgotha and the Tomb of Jesus, all the big name places of the New Testament. And, and while it was an amazing experience to visit all those places, and certainly as some of them spiritual moments did occur, I did not expect what would happen to me when we took time to visit the ancient first century town called Capernaum. Capernaum is the town that's up on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus established his base of operation for what turned out to be his three-year ministry. Capernaum is about 25 miles northeast from Nazareth, from Jesus', Jesus hometown, from which Jesus fled after being chased away by his home congregation. When you visit Capernaum today, what you find is that they have uncovered a great deal of that ancient town, including many of the houses that date back to the first century and likely even the home of Simon Peter. I hadn't done much reading about Capernaum before visiting there, so I wasn't prepared for the moment when they took us to visit the first century Capernaum synagogue. Actually, the only thing left of the first century synagogue is the foundation. A fourth century synagogue has been built on top of it. That's the picture that's on the cover of your bulletin. 
But onto that first century foundation, you can walk and stand where Jesus stood day in and day out over his three-year ministry. And, and while there are many places in Israel that can only speculate as to whether Jesus came and stood, one knows for sure that in this place, Jesus stood not just once, not just a dozen times, but probably hundreds and hundreds of times. Capernaum is where Jesus lived his life. It was his base of operation. It was where he rose shoulders with the townsfolk. It's, it's where he in, interacted with the local children. It's where he sat in the town hall and listened to the politicians debate. It's, if they had a Starbucks in Capernaum, you can imagine him sitting at the booth with a grande latte talking to Peter and Andrew, James and John. Capernaum was where Jesus was local. It's where he lived his life. The incarnation of God rubbing shoulders with the Capernaumians, I coined that phrase, the Capernaumians. <laughs> now, what we learn is that in Capernaum, there were these groups of people who, when they spent time with Jesus, listened to him talk, and heard him teach about God's vision for the world and God's vision for their lives, they began to believe him. His words cease to be just words. His, his wishes cease to be just wishes. His platitudes cease to be just platitudes. When they heard Jesus say things like, repent and prepare for the kingdom of heaven or follow me and I will, fish, I will help you fish for people, they not only heard these things, but they believed them. And more importantly, they did them. Matthew calls our attention to four of them, two pairs of brothers, Simon and Andrew, James and John. Jesus strolls by their boats, these four fishermen, and says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And they follow him. They didn't form a study group about it. They didn't take a boat. They didn't watch a TV special about it. They followed him. Now, they had as much ability to fish for people as you and I have to fly to the moon. But they followed to become fishers of people. Now, what we learn much later in the story is that that's actually what happened. That's actually what they became. They became fishers of people. Their lives became centered around inviting people into the love and grace of God's kingdom. Jesus gave them the ability and the power to become what he had called them to become and to do. And so what we discover is that up in that little town of Capernaum, when Jesus spoke a word to people, the word came with the power to perform it. Repent, the kingdom is coming. Follow me, I'll make you fish for people. Andrew, Simon, James, and John, along with a host of others, receive the word, and then all of a sudden, they're given the power to perform it. That's the amazing thing. Jesus doesn't just issue a call. No, Jesus issues a call, and he grants the power to perform it. That's the miracle that was unfolding in Capernaum. The Capernaumians had found a man whose call was not just a call, 
It was a call that came with the power to perform it. That's the miracle of Capernaum. The Messiah was walking up and down their streets, sitting in their pews, standing at their places of work, and the people who received his word, the word of Jesus, the people who responded to his call were given the power to perform it. Follow me and I'll make you fish for people. And they followed and sure enough, they were given the power to fish for people. It wasn't just the power to fish for people. It was the power to do all kinds of things. Follow me, I'll give you the power to preach. And they followed and he got the, they got the power to preach. Follow me, I'll give you the power to heal. And sure enough, they followed and he gave them the power to heal. Follow me and I'll give you the power to forgive. And sure enough, they had the power to forgive. Follow me and I'll give you the power to love the unlovable. And sure enough, they, they followed and he gave them the power to, unlove, to love the unlovable. Follow me and I'll give you the power to move mountains. And would you believe it? They followed and eventually began to move mountains the size of the Roman Empire. And it all started in this little village called Capernaum. The Messiah walked up and down their streets, sat in their pews, and called them. And when they responded, he gave them the power to do what he called them to do. Now, it's important to add here that this power that Jesus gave them was not, you know, magical power, wasn't, you know, some superman or superwoman power or some outer space interplanetary power. It was the power of what the New Testament calls agape love. Agape love. Agape is Greek for love. Agape love, the love through which God loves the world. It's the divine love. It's a self-surrendering, it's a self-sacrificing, it is a cross-bearing form of love. The love through which God loves us, as undeserving as we might be, that, that once we internalize it, is the same love that empowers us to do the things that he's called us to do. God loves us enough to call us and loves us enough to empower us to, to offer that love to others. I'll say that again. God loves us enough to call us and then God loves us enough to empower us through that call to love others. Now, as true as all that was up and down the streets of Capernaum, Jesus promises that it is as true up and down the streets of Sarasota. Because Jesus is here in Sarasota. He's rubbing shoulders with us here in Sarasota. He's sitting in our pews. He's walking on the beach. He's sipping a peppermint mocha at the coffee shop. He's loving us. And he's calling us and he's empowering us to perform what he's called us to do. Now, here's the thing. There is not one of us here today or watching online. There's not one of us here today who do not, I believe, have somewhere inside them what I would call a tug T-U-G. We all, I believe, have a tug. Some call it conscience. Some call it principle. Some call it a stirring. But we all have inside us this voice, this tug. And the church for 2,000 years has said, the tug is Jesus. 
He's saying, follow me. And he's promising the power of agape love to help you do what you are being tugged to do. It may feel like a really small thing. It may feel like a really big thing. But the tug of Jesus comes with the promise and the power of agape love. 17 years ago, a young woman from New Jersey, Maggie Doyne, newly graduated from high school, 18 years old, decided to do a gap year before college to do some traveling, ended up in Nepal and witnessed firsthand the plight of many Nepalese children. And she got tugged. And she called home from Nepal and convinced her parents, this is the miracle, convinced her parents to send her the money out of her bank account for which she had been saving for college because she had some children to take care of in Nepal. Jesus had tugged her. And now he was giving her the power of agape love to do what he was tugging her to do. Nine years later, she was named CNN's Hero of the Year for her children's home that she built and her women's advocacy work in Nepal. Jesus tugs and promises the power of agape love to do what he calls us to do. Dorothy Day, founder of the Catholic Worker newspaper, will be studying about Dorothy Day in the class after this, tells of the day when a young woman came to her and her staff at the Catholic Worker newspaper without a penny and without a meal and asked how to find that hospitality house that she had been reading about in their newspaper. And Dorothy Day said, oh, we, we don't have a hospitality house for the poor. We just write about it. And the woman replied, well, what's the point of, of writing about it if you don't have it? And that day, Dorothy Day felt the tug of Jesus and went out and found space to open her first hospitality house for the poor, the first of 200 that now cover the globe. Phyllis Brooks said it this way, bad will be the day for every man when he becomes absolutely contented with the life that he's living, with the thoughts that he's thinking, with the deeds that he's doing, when there is not forever beating at the doors of his soul some great desire to do something larger, which he knows he was meant and made to do because he is still, in spite of all, a child of God. A week ago, Friday, when I was leaving the office late in the afternoon, there was huddled outside the food pantry six volunteers trying to stay warm. It was a chilly night, as Florida nights go. <clears throat> but there they were, kind of, you know, a little cold and waiting for folks to come to hand them bags of groceries. Now, if I had asked them each, each would have given me a different story as to why they were there. But deep down, I believe it was the tug of Jesus. The day before, I peeked into the campus center and saw a few dozen folks sitting with school children teaching them their subjects. I think they were there because of the tug of Jesus. A few weeks ago, I went over to our sister church in Newtown, Light of the World, and saw scores of people, black, brown, and white, working together to bring some Christmas joy to dozens and dozens of families. And I think they were there all because of the tug and agape love of Jesus. 
60 years ago, some folks in our church, our church's early days, got the idea to open a little preschool on this campus 60 years ago, long before preschools were a thing, to take care of children. I don't know who they were, I don't know their names, but I'm sure they were tugged by Jesus. Jesus, you see, loves us enough to call us and empowers us with his agape love to do what he has called us to do. He's trying to heal the world and he empowers us to help. Richard Foster, who writes on spiritual disciplines, tells an interesting story of something that happened to him years ago. And he tells it this way. He says, I was once called to a home to pray for a seriously ill baby girl. Her four-year-old brother was in the room, and so I told him that I needed his help to pray for his baby sister, and he was delighted. And so was I, since I know that children can often pray with unusual effectiveness. So he climbed up into the chair beside me, and I said to him, let's play a little game. Since we know that Jesus is always with us, let's imagine that Jesus is sitting right over there in the corner in that chair. And he's waiting patiently for us to center our attention on him. And when we see Jesus, we start thinking more about his love and less about how sick Julie is. And let's imagine him smiling. And he gets up and he comes over to us. And, and let's then put our hands on Julie. And when we do, Jesus will put his hand on top of ours and we'll watch the light from Jesus flow into your little sister to make her well. Let's watch the healing power of Christ fight with the germs until they're gone. Can we do that? Seriously, the little boy nods. So together we prayed in this childlike way and thanked the Lord that what we'd prayed for was going to happen. Foster concludes, now, honestly, I do not know exactly what happened that day and night, nor even how it was accomplished. But I do know that the next morning, Julie was well. So, the miracle in Capernaum is no more the miracle on Bee Ridge. Jesus is on our streets He's over at the shops, he's in our rooms, he's sitting on our pews, he's over there in the corner. And we see him and we feel his agape love for us and we sense his grasp on our hands that they may be placed into and onto others wherever we may find them, that the light and love of Jesus might shine and fill and heal, all because we said yes when he said, follow me.